0: Hello everybody, this is Ken Krogh, Tom Harrison with Eternal Core. Today we've got with us Ty Dixon, CEO of Renaissance Ranch and some other pretty cool projects that he's working on. Uh, we had a beautiful experience just the other day with Ty. Um, we got to know Christian Smith and, and some of the team there, and uh, but we, we, we got to talk to Ty about his own personal story and why he's doing this. And, And I was bragging to Tom about him and said, hey, we need to get him here and and, and get on the show. And and, and today, you know, he brought his friend with us this morning, and we've already had a beautiful experience
1: here in the studio. But um,
0: Ty, you've been with Renaissance how long now?
1: Well, uh, yeah, uh, I uh, I went in first as a patient or client. Oh, that's right. As we call us, a client in uh, September 2008. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that was the story well, that. That's, so that's about my, 11 years. That's my. Right, everyone has a personal yeah. and yep. everyone has a professional story. Right. I guess. And mine overlap. Uh, and, and so it's hard to tell one without the other. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm an open book and just want to, you know, anything I can do to use my experience to to do good. You know, so. you know
0: we've seen um, that be a common theme in especially in the recovery yeah. profession that uh, in fact my own personal experience you know you to, to really help someone you got to have walked in their moccasins a little bit you got to have been through it yeah and you've been through it yeah yeah yeah, yeah I
1: have um, do you mind sharing your story with us uh, yeah absolutely um, not i guess right when you do you mind do you know you? it's like absolutely it's like well that you uh, no so um no i um i was raised in a in a in a, uh, I mean by the amazing parents in a in a middle class family you know uh the the mean streets of draper utah the you know suburbs uh, you know <laughs> as we the we uh now we had a um but uh you know growing up uh my um my 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 parents were were awesome and uh, my dad um was a was a convert to the l d s church and and had some uh growing up just some some experiences that, that um i didn't quite give him a, uh i think a a stable father figure um to kind of know how to model to be a father um my uh, my my mother uh, they both went to met at BYU. My mom was a cheerleader when Steve Young was there, and they're winning championships and all that. But uh, I grew up a, a older brother and uh, two younger sisters, a younger brother. So there's there's five of us, and I I kind of had the personality, uh, uh, you know, and the the of just always if you know don't do something, don't do that. I did, would do it, you know. I was always the kid in, in <laughs> class that needed attention and uh, was doing whatever it took to get it. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't know why. And then I got older, um, I, I found myself wanting really to do whatever it took to, to fit in, to be accepted. Um, and I didn't know it, but I wasn't accepted at home. I was loved at home. I was cared for at home. I. Um, but I felt like there was always this, um, this measuring stick or this ruler that I, I was never gonna live up to. It's my, my father had not done anything wrong in my perception. Anything positive I did was expected and wasn't acknowledged that, that much from my father. My mother, everything was great and wonderful, always I'm the most beautiful thing in the world, right? My dad was. It was. This is what I expected, and if I didn't do well, didn't measure up, ninety percent of of energy and was put on that. I feel, and not a not a ton on on what I was doing well, um, and not to be a victim, just to kind of make sense maybe of what may have precipitated me becoming a heroin addict and wanting to take my life, you know. Um, from being raised in an LDS home and environment and community w- wondering what happened how did this right and i'm still kind of putting the pieces together over a decade later of continuous sobriety and recovery I'm still connecting some of the dots <clears throat> but um my uh, my my mom was always overly positive my my father he was, he was an amazing man, um, <clears throat> was, he is, he's, he's, he's my rock and today he's one of my greatest, dearest friends. Um, and so we, we, we talk openly about this stuff today, we have emotional, honest conversations today, we express our feelings today, we can take feedback from each other today, we respect each other today. We respect that each other may think differently, feel differently, and we seek to understand one another and we and we work together um <clears throat> and my relationship with my father is one of the most uh dear things that that I hold, and so I can speak of this and of this and and i and I'm sure he he doesn't mind as he you know he shares our family story. I had two sons that were drug addicts, and let me tell you, you know being in the same room with that it's like you know uh. Uh, it's interesting, right? Because I, the, I feel that uh, there's a light and darkness in this side, and darkness always will try to instill shame or fear. Yeah. And uh, I think the more that we talk about things and we're honest, the more it dispels shame and, and, and casts out fear and, and gains clarity and allows us to connect and to unify and to work work through things. Um, <clears throat> Pops was... Uh, uh, a workaholic. He worked extremely hard. Uh, his family at times lived in poverty, and he saw horrific. He saw very difficult things uh, within his family um, because of of lack of money. And um, my my father, if anyone knows him, he's he is a um, extremely motivated, um, hardworking. Um, if there's a task that he wants done, it Going to get done, period. Um, end of story. Um, and <clears throat> I felt I, I, was, I could never be like that. I, I screw up, you know. Uh, he, for one, but for two, from a religious perspective, um, as I started to have questions about things, about sexuality or about drugs and alcohol, it was. It there was a. It, they never said don't talk about this stuff, but it was just implied through body language and communication. It's like, that's bad. We don't think about it. It doesn't exist. If it doesn't, ergo, if it doesn't exist, you don't, certainly aren't going to be involved with it because those people are crazy, right? Or, and or that wouldn't happen to my family. Um, <clears throat> my, 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 I think my, 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 mom and my dad were afraid of, of uh, different different ways of thinking or different things in the world and, uh, um, unconsciously judged people, um, without knowing that they were doing so, if that makes sense. And I remember we were young and there was people with tattoos and earrings, um, and a taco bell, you know, and, uh, probably it it came out and, and we were in the car and he said, you will never, never, Get tattoos or earrings. Promise me you will never do that. Ne- no, people will never look at you the same. You'll never, right? And so many different instances that are that are that are associated with a, um, with with a, I think a, a religious culture that are so um, unseen or that are um, that we're unaware of um, consciously. I think um, pride uh, in general is a very misunderstood um, sin. As a, as Ezra Taft Benson, yeah, one of my favorite prophets and to- talks of all time, is his to- talk on pride And, and uh, um, because I never struggle with it, so I study it, right? No. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember on a drive I listened to it three times in a row it's just, it's money, and uh, it, <laughs> and I got something very different and more out of it each time. Um, and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, man, what? What? We should just play this every week in church, and we'd be done. You know, <laughs> like, uh, um, pretty close. No, um, I, I let me be clear. I, I mean, I, 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 I. Love the church with all my heart. I, I love. I I embrace, and I'm a proud member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, but I'm not a Mormon. I'm not. You know, <laughs> I, I I I I I love people. I accept people for who they are. I have values and beliefs that are consistent with eternal families, and 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 love, and light, and beauty, and greatness, and and. Um, for me, that is what the gospel is. That's what the church is. It is about, uh, it's about positivity. It's about goodness. I think the greatest thing in the world is um, the, the ability we have to change and, be, and not just a little bit, but completely and entirely. Um, <clears throat> and I learned that through the recovery process because I, if I didn't, I would die physically die. Backing up, I guess, a little bit more, though. uh, My uh, family, uh, awesome, love my siblings, amazing. Um, I, uh, very close, we were very, very close. Uh, My brother and I, uh, in in early years, um, would cover for each other when we start sneaking out, and we start chasing girls, and uh, start using drugs, and uh, start experim- experimenting with drinking, and um, knowing I was, knowing I was, n- not making the choices that I had been taught to or felt were right, but I had a greater desire to fit in. I had a greater desire to be accepted. Again, I thought I was accepted at home. I didn't. I didn't put the two and two to, together. I uh, didn't realize I was reaching out for, um, for external, solutions. Mm-hmm. To an internal problem. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I objectified a, a girl or girls in school, if that was a cool thing to do, I was going to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If, if uh, drinking or, or drug was the cool thing, buying, selling, if that was cool, I was going to do that. If it was football, I was going to do that. Um, and. That that I just um, I just will never forget the overwhelming need to do whatever it whatever it took, and I feel that majority of my peers were in the same boat. We were just adolescent kids. We thought we knew a ton, and we didn't know a, a whole lot at all. Um, so, <clears throat> what I've learned about addiction is that there's two parts: there's a genetic part, and there's a and then there it's nature and nurture. So uh the environmental and then the genetics. The genetics, my great grandfather was an alcoholic. So when I started using drugs and alcohol, my genes went, yep, yeah, this is good. Drink some more. When I started smoking weed, yep, yeah, this is good. Use some more. Um, objectifying women and what that leads to, yep, yeah, that's do that some more. Um, <clears throat> and because I was going off track so much from who I had been taught to be a, I started creating a different identity, and I kind of it was two different people. I was a whole different person at home and with my parents and um, a whole different person when I'm with my friends or with with people um, and this person started to take over and, and, uh, I, I can, I remember getting, uh, 17 years old, um, caught by my dad at church, uh, sloughing church, uh, and you know, which, I mean, what, how could I do that? How, and I kept doing it. And Ty said, what's going on, man? What you, we got to be at church. That's what we do in our family. I'm like, i like, I know, but you know what? I felt like I was going to stand up to him finally, and I, couldn't, I'm not, and I couldn't do the lying anymore. I couldn't lie to the bishop anymore. I couldn't pretend to be someone who I wasn't anymore. My choices and the stuff I was getting caught for, it's, it's not adding up, and, I, 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 and so I'm just going to own it. And I, I remember saying, Dad, I don't care to know if the church is true. I don't care to know if there's a God or any of that. In fact, I don't, I don't, believe, I, I don't believe in it. I don't believe what you, you believe is what I said um, and he's like why, why not and I'm like I just don't care to know and then he said um, he said mark my words one day you will have to know hmm. and I said okay you know sure dad you know there's plenty of people in the world that know don't know they're just fine you know people that subscribe to religious beliefs spiritual beliefs are conning themselves into wanting to just feel a little bit better, um, like you say drugs are bad. That this is bad. Like this is awesome. I'm having lots of fun. So, you know, right on. <laughs> and uh, that happened. And uh, so,
2: still about seventeen years. Seventeen.
1: Old. Okay. But uh, to to speak a little bit to the um context of the the shame what we've come to understand it is a shame based family system uh that we didn't understand that we that we were and and that a lot of the unhealthy beliefs and traditions that had really been passed down from um and 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 from generations before and or how things had been um uh, mutated to uh, not just my family but we've come to see Thousands and thousands of families um, that are operating in this context. Um, I think that um, it, it's f- so. When <clears throat> when I was fifteen, the um, the second the second girl I had um, sexual relations with when I was fifteen years old, parents did not know I was um, kissing anyone. Um, she thought she, she'd gotten pregnant and I'm 15, I'm 15, but I think just barely 15. And, uh, she comes over to my house, scream, screaming at me. Um, are you ready to be a father? You know, we, well, let's come in, let's sit down. We sit down with her, my parents, my siblings are upstairs watching what's going on. Are you ready to be a father? Are you how could you do this? How could you do this to our family son? How we we've taught you better. This isn't how could you do this to me? Right? My father mother taking things personal. My decisions personal. Um to their parenting, they're worried about what the neighbors are gonna think, what they're gonna think and and because um, that was so far from not only what they had taught me, what they believe, it, what happiness, believing so much in, in the gospel and happiness and the promise of it, they unconsciously were trying to motivate by, by fear. And uh, I think with a, a lot of us, uh, our authenticity repulses that in it it causes us to go the other direction. <clears throat> and I just remember being so overwhelmed and so much um, self, self-hate and embarrassment. My, my whole life is I'm gonna be a father at 15. I can barely take care of myself. I can't take care of myself. I don't know how to tie my shoes. I don't know how to have a job. I don't know, how to right? I mean, I'm, all these feelings of, of my life, I, how can I do how to let my family down? I had the thought: There's a shotgun upstairs, and my dad had taught me how to shoot. You know, I'd learned it in the scouts, and he had a shotgun under his bed, probably in case an intruder or something. And he had shells by it. And um, sitting in this, and I couldn't take the shame. It was like it was like an overwhelming, tangible bubble of darkness, hotness. Lot, and
2: were her parents I, also in this media? Just her mother. Just her. Okay.
1: Um, <clears throat> she was a single mother, who this she got pregnant when she was sixteen. Wow. She was like the cool mom, so I was friends with her until now. <laughs> I, I mean, and it the lid had come off, and it's game over. Um, and she was preparing to her daughter was 14 and I'm 15 she's preparing to be a grandma at 32 or I don't know I'm not a math person but um um, 34 and this darkness and this and and I and all I knew is I had to get out of it all I knew is I had to get out of it and just like that it's like you I need to kill myself immediately and I know how just like my dad if there's something needs to get done I know, I, I find the will and I find it and I, and I get it done. Well, I went upstairs and I'm like, I gotta do this quick cause they're probably gonna follow me. I grab the shotgun, get the shell, load it in, you know, all the safety's off. Fully intending to just end it within 20 seconds. Right? from. This this ends in 20 seconds, go. And went up, got the shotgun, put my hand, my finger, and I I couldn't, I couldn't reach the trigger. I couldn't, so I said, if I take my socks off, maybe if I use my, maybe if I use my toe, that's, oh, it's against my side. Maybe if I, you know, maybe, Oh, here's how you... And then my dad walked in. Son, please put the gun down. And, uh, and he grabbed me. And he uh, held me. And, and we cried together. And our spirits, you know, broke. And, um, you know, there's a feeling of that there's something really wrong. In our family, and but we didn't know, didn't know what it was, couldn't put it to words, because mm-hmm. you need feel, you need to feel it, you need to feel it to heal it, and we were taught to not feel. Their feelings were bad. They were taught that. Their parents were taught that. That's the way it was. I think it worked well in the early 1900s, 1800s kind of thing. In our society with those traditions it is killing us it is it is killing us emotionally and spiritually and until we figure out a different way to motivate people to change a different way to communicate that as god's people we stand on our feet we show who we are we talk about what's going on we discuss the problems we discuss our sins we communicate how the adversary tricks us. And when we screw up and we, fi- we work to han- together on how we apply the atonement to overcome the challenges that we cannot overcome on our own.
2: It separates that intellectual component, that cognitive component, with our emotional quotient. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we're not functioning fully. Yeah. And that's one of the major tenets of eternal core. Yeah. But you're right, they were taught this for decades. Yeah. For, for almost hundreds of years. Yeah. And, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I think those of us in this who, who um, in the context professionally relying on what's an effective way to help people change, you have to look at knowing what the problem is. And when you really know what the problems are, it's not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's not eating disorders, it's not pornography, it's not depression. It's, it's the underlying causes and conditions of, of um, causing emotional dishonesty and despondency and the feelings that precipitate grabbing external solutions for internal problems So the depression, anxiety, trauma, um, self hate, shame, shame I've learned is the, is the driver. So those of us that screw up, that have religious views and beliefs that we can't shake because we have experiences we can't deny. And it's not going anywhere. Period. It's solid. It's in there. It's who we are and no matter what we do we can't get rid of it <clears throat> and shame is the gasoline on on the on the fire of guilt right? guilt guilt is i did something bad shame is i'm i am <clears throat> beyond bad and because i am beyond bad i'll just continue in this behavior and and repent later, or I'll just change, I'll change later. I'll rely on my, my strength and intellect because I can't rely on God because what I've done is screwed up too bad. You know, and if everybody knew what I really did, I'm not, you know, they would agree with me that I should probably suffer. And so I'll just keep down this. And what happens, addic- and, and that's, that's when the claws set in, and that's when we come down with a disease that affects us neurologically, our physical bodies, mm-hmm. and we come down with a disease that no amount of human power medicine can, can solve, can cure it has to come from a power much greater than this earth. There has to be something greater, or else uh, we're toast, or else I was toast. So I ended up in the Salt Lake County Jail at 19 years old. Nine months previous to this, I was a running back at Jordan High School uh, and a linebacker. Um, a fairly good football player, um, and nine months, uh, right just out of high school, used pills. Went from drinking, partying, using heroin. I prided myself. I wanted to use every drug out there, darn it. So I was going to do it. And heroin was a cool thing to do. So I see what this is about. Hook. I I was already addicted to stuff, but this this was this was it and again my parents were wrong and this is awesome and I uh, didn't know what physical addiction really looked like until I became addicted to opiates and I the addiction just escalated and compounded greater and greater and greater in a very quick amount of time became a thief in that period um, did things I, I would never thought I would do stealing from from, from people, from places, um, lying, manipulating, um, burning every friendship bridge I had. My brain resorted to a primitive state and I didn't know what was happening, but I was developing the disease of addiction to the point in early April, early April 2006, to the point where I'm trying to steal things from a convenience store and the store works followed me and held me down like a like a rabid animal until the police came literally rock bottom getting held down in a in a parking lot and rightfully so for what I had become Um, I went to jail and it was like an alternate reality. And I knew I was headed for an immense amount of pain from the withdrawal. I had, it was 120, probably 115 pounds at this time. Nine months later, 190 pounds, 115 pounds. I didn't really realize how close to death I was, eating a couple times a week, because um, I wasn't hungry. I, my brain required this substance more than anything um, if I had $10 for, for food or dr- I needed drugs. And it's like, how, 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 do, how like, it feels like a different lifetime. And, it's like, and and I empathize with normal people, as we call them, uh, who don't have the disease, who go, sh- this is disease, schmishmies. this is choice, this idiot started, like, what, you know? Like that, all his choices, plain and simple, next case, right? Look a little deeper. And this is how, a simple way, when I speak to, to young people, this is how I explain it. You ever jump off a high dive, let all your air out, and you're 10 feet under the water, and you're like looking up like, oh crap. <laughs> Does anyone else do that? Because <laughs> I do that, yeah, I mean. You're like, crap, you know, out of water. And you're in a panic you 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 know you're not thinking about working things out with your your you know, with the relationship you're not you're not thinking about um, you're not thinking about what's for dinner you're not thinking about um, any any you're not thinking about if you do this if if you do whatever if you get up and, and take a breath of air that you're you could lose your kids you could go to jail you could right don't rob that bank don't rob that old sweet old lady don't like you could go to jail you could die it's like but if i in the human brain the, at that point when you're looking up the amygdala is saying if you don't breathe you were you will die my job is to keep you alive the next 5 seconds i'm taking over we're getting up we're going on <clears throat> when someone develops the disease just like the need for for water for food for air those things that we just need to survive right. when someone gets to develop a, an addiction to porn, the same thing with <clears throat> pornography happens in T- drugs and alcohol to where you need it you, you develop a, an additional need biologically, that trumps anything else. The need for water, that, I mean, if you're in the desert, you've got a backpack with a billion dollars, you know, got a treasure chest with, full of a billion dollars worth of goods, and you haven't had a water bottle in three days, someone's like, I'll swap you." Done, how does that make sense? An addict's mind can't comprehend consequence. In that state, they can't. And because of that fact, it's a neurological disease. We understand it to be a much further, a bigger deal than just a physical illness also. We believe that we're not physical beings that have spiritual experiences briefly on Earth, but that we're spiritual beings having a brief human experience and this disease attacks the entirety of who we are on on every level and so i was uh thankful to go to a place that even though i didn't want any sort of churchy religious sort of thing right i just maybe wanted to see if they could show me how to drink like a normal person then I'd be good to go. Um, Luckily, I was able after jail. Well.
2: So I just want to fix yeah. the addiction. I don't want to fix all the other stuff yeah. that have to do. Yeah. Because it's right. still fun. Right. I just don't want it, right. my life to be unmanageable. Right. Not being able to see the corollary. You know, not being able to see that this, all of this, has something to do with it which was i think where the emotional um and spiritual
1: disconnectedness kind of that's where that that lies mm-hmm. but we um um my parents arranged you know uh with the with the uh, just the the attorney that we had and the judge to go if you went to jail uh, or if you went to treatment you you can get out of jail and you could stay out of jail if you complete it if you don't complete it you go back to jail So I went to this treatment center called the Ark of Little Cottonwood. And what is this crap about? You know, my brother had went there. He had wrote me from jail. He's a different person, you know, talking about all sorts of who knows what. I remember I said before I went in there, I'm like, bro, just tell me whatever I got to do to just, you know, you know, get through the hoops and so we can go back to partying. And my brother, who's, if he didn't, choose to recover and get, I don't know if I would be here. We would be, we'd be here. Impressed said, Ty's, he's like, the only thing I'm gonna tell you, man, is just surrender. Just, you know, just surrender. Might as well be speaking Japanese. (laughs) No, I mean, no idea what that meant. And And I went to treatment and what we do in treatment um, it, what do we do at the ranch? So it was the same, very same therapeutic model that I first had was a process of um, humbling an individual. First, showing it, and extending an immense amount of love and support, acknowledging that, that they're sick, putting up with their sickness and looking through it, loving them, despite And when they knew that, when they, when, when I felt that I was loved and cared for, uh, when I heard all the crazy feedback about me and and there was nine other people telling me the same thing and I was the only one disagreeing, that was pretty powerful. I was like, I better take a look at my conceptions because they're right. They have not served me and was very humbled. And that night, I, this is about three, four weeks into treatment where I didn't really want to be there. I was still trying to, right? And I had this experience in group where they said, help me become really aware of the powerlessness I really had in my addiction and the unmanageability. And they said, um, unless you really feel it and embrace it and know that you're screwed, despite your best efforts no matter what you do you can't think yourself out of this one this one's too big Um, what how yes huh I've been told my whole life I can if I choose right I can get out of it what what you're saying isn't adding up and so much confusion and and chaos and and internal chaos and tension. what what I didn't know was my ego is cracking And and I was getting ready to take the next step, which is the step towards change. The first step is the hardest step for any one of us. That can take years, years and decades for others. And if and and, and until someone really fully hits the hundred percent of embracing step one, which is we admitted we were powerless over drugs, alcohol, it made our life unmanageable. Until we really embrace that when people relapse, I see it's, it's, they've, they they've always forgotten that. They, they have not, they're not, they didn't live it that day. Um, so, you know, I'm 19 years old. I thought I had the world figured out. Obviously I didn't. I'm in this rehab with nothing and no one. Um, and I remember, um, feeling like I need to pray. Um, I prayed, right, grew up at LDS home, prayed hundreds of times, maybe thousands, and never um, praying with this, you know? Not really believing anything was there, just doing it to do it, because that's what we did. And um, this time I prayed with this, this was the first time where i prayed just hoping against hope that that man there's something out there that in it that, that there's got to be something out there that put earth just far enough away from the sun to not blow up but be close enough to be warm enough and not far enough away that we freeze and causes a day and a night and our bu- and and then like how like how, right it's like there's got like Hey, guy that did all this and maybe created me and maybe is my father. That's this stuff I heard. I don't know if you're a he or a she. I don't care. But uh, are you there and do you care about me? Do you know who I am? Do you know where I am? If you're, because if, if you're not there, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I'm not scared of dying. I just, I just can't, I just can't live like this anymore. And I want more than anything to keep using drugs and alcohol. And if my brain, if I don't change my perceptions, I'm going to end up in prison, end up homeless, indoor dead. And I just finally realized that from the treatment process. No one could tell it to me. I had to feel it and experience it for my peers, people that had been there. Professionals that skillfully aided me through the the process of pre-contemplation of change, and I prayed, and I specifically prayed to see things the way that 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 you see them, God, because the way I or or a different way, because the way that I see is broken. Obviously, it's I'm convinced of that now. And I just, I mean, I cried in saying that prayer, feeling that over and over that night. And um, for me, um, it, it's, it's hard to believe um, and if we don't believe it, whatever. But I, the next day I felt um, completely different. And from that day on, um, I became like a, like a sponge, um, and anything and everybody said I was just I absorbed, just so much light, um, and it was like, have you seen the Matrix? Have you seen the ma- You need to see the Matrix. No, uh, <laughs> the Matrix is like alternate universe. You know, you you if you, you need to be, hey, we need to teach you how to learn how to fly a helicopter, um, and quick, John, download the helicopter thing. All right, let's go. I can fly a helicopter. It was, it was, it was, it was, a lot like that. In that, and I came to feel and and understand it as um, a power greater than myself, the power of God, it, as or we know it or call it, um, changing who who I was. And I was accepting that. I was accepting the change. I wanted to change. I needed to out of, out of survival. And then I realized, this is more about survival or approval or accept. This is about happiness. This is about enjoyment, fulfillment. And I had, I, I had started having fun, in tr- without drugs and alcohol. I started connecting people, establishing meaningful relationships, without drugs and alcohol. I, I all these things came to me of that I could do with my life. Now I'm not captive by an addiction, and who, what I could do with my life, who I could be. And I was like, people gotta know about this. People gotta know that you can change. You don't have yeah. to. You don't have to live a life at a two, you could be at a nine, ten. I mean, yeah. and uh, I, haven't, I haven't stopped since, you know. I had, a, I had a relapse a year and a half in, um, and that's when I went to Renaissance Ranch in September of 2008 uh, and met a conglomerate of extraordinary men uh, and one <clears throat> extraordinary woman. Um, as a as a recovery family I they supported me in changing my life and I did what I could to support them and 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 I do everything I can today in my life's mission to bring us together to accomplish a greater goal of helping heal others and have the same experiences we've had to experience goodness and light and um, find out ways how to pay for it so we can survive in this temporal world that we're in right. I think it's uh, amazing um, what you do what you've done what you're doing with the eternal core uh, bringing many of us together in different areas of the profession because we are all united in this. The, the, the traditional fear or um, scarcity mentality, it exists within the human condition. But I, I believe that if we come together as one heart and one mind, focused on a divine objective of happiness within all of us and all of, all of those who, who are lost, that we can we can do it together. We can, right. and we have to. Right. And what what a what an amazing goal purpose to aspire to. And I'm blessed to work with dozens of people who are genuinely about that and live their lives day in day out. The ranch we're a community of of of, of men and women, and who are a fellowship and a family, who do. Who have a a, a great ma- a great network within the community to assist the one. We have a saying that it, it takes a village. We laugh like it takes a village, you know. After our team meetings and we we just got done working through different resentments or wedges or issues, and and after we sit down and there's this problem that's way bigger than our capability to handle, and somehow we come together and we work it out and a family's benefited, an individual's benefited, the group is benefited. It's it's um, it's 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 humbling to be a part of and it's humbling for me. Uh, it's extraordinarily humbling for me to have so many people that trust me. Uh, in in the leadership position I am with with all my weaknesses and with with my pride and with my 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 stuff. Um, and they teach me every day. And <clears throat> I h- hold so important the, the feedback in the, um, the, uh, the open, honest communication that they give me because it, it allows us to work together to more effectively accomplish what it is that we're, we're, we're undertaking. So we're trying to do our part in this corner of the world to, to instill some real insincere change. Um, We've been doing these, uh, um, I'll just, a couple more minutes that uh, I think is really remarkable and and really coincides with with the the problem that we're seeing in in our state right now, specifically, and across with our, with the schools, with the suicides and the addiction rates and the prescription stuff and the stuff we've all heard about. Well, we're one of the largest mental health and addiction treatment programs in in Utah. And so, and we're a community-based program. We don't fly a ton of people in from out of state. Most people, 85 or so percent come right here from the Wasatch Front because we take them through the entire process from the detoxing process to the residential to the, the transitional into real life. We incorporate the family through the process, extended healing and care, we do medication-assisted treatment through the process. We do you know, there's fitness and, and life coaching and all this stuff, right? And <clears throat> we try to imp- try to bring everything that we can to, to help to help someone. And there's no one-size-fits-all either. Uh, there's a there's a ton- most of the people that we see have a co-occurring Disorders, severe depression, anxiety, trauma, um, and, um, and suicidality, and, um, and everything in, in, in bipolar mm-hmm. and everything in between. And <clears throat> the people that, that uh, when, they, when they come in, they fill out a survey and it, it evaluates these things, uh, the impression mm-hmm. primarily and lets us know how severe they are and we we so that we can know where and how to help them so each week they fill this out and they fill it out the end of treatment the company that we use um, does this and incorporates this across the country and to measure effectiveness and treatment Mm -hmm. and so forth we use it every week to identify what clients we need to focus the most on and what ones are the most severe, and how, and then going and game plan strategies to help them. Well, we've um, identified for for one that, and compared to the national average, our clients, which is in Utah, um, the Wasatch Front, overall have a 15% higher than the national average. The other 49 states combined, 15% higher in anxiety, depression, trauma symptoms. It, it's, it's, a ma- it's, a massive, it's a massive difference than the national average. Also, you look at the suicide risk assessment when they come in. The national average individuals when they come into treatment, the attempt suicide in previous 30 days is 6%. Our program, 13%. More than twice the national average people are attempting suicide before they get to us, which coincides with the statistics we know about, that we are two times higher. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of blame on, on the church not the church it's the people it's our culture it's us and if we're going to get through this we gotta take a deeper look into ourselves or we're not going to it's going to get worse the neat thing is is there's hope a great deal of hope We have, um, it was amazing because we also saw completion rates, success rates. We saw client satisfaction rates. Across the board, we have a 15% higher success rate than the national average. So we're taking people that are 15% worse off, Mm -hmm. so you'd think we would have a, Lower than average success. We're, we have a higher success rate. It's a 30-point swing than the national average, which it is, I think, for me, that's awesome. But if it's still <laughs> like it's it's unacceptable. I think that's not. I'm. What we're dealing with is extremely complex, and I'm very proud of what we have. But we're always striving to be better to, to learn that more. Too? What do I attribute that to? Uh, I mean, you're many things. You're the only
0: openly that we've seen that mentions God in your advertising. I mean, you guys come on out and say, "Here's who we are," and you get hit
1: by it a, a lot. Yeah. 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 I I I mean, to, to to say right in in traditional professional treatment, it's
2: not acceptable
1: to say to say. Hey, we talk about God and treatment, like in your therapy. It's just not. It's, it discredits all the stuff they learned in school. Because they don't, like, right? Or if, if you just need God, then why do you need professional treatment? Um, why would, not both. Why what if God said, mm. is it too much to have both of this going on?
2: Yeah. Uh, and that's we're, what we do. We're it, all hardwired <laughs> to seek for the divine. And that's how our brains start. But then we hit adolescence, and then the adolescent brain goes, I don't need to listen to the heart anymore. And just what you said is when that crisis hit you in your life and you went, I want to reconnect with my heart. And you said, I didn't pray from here anymore, I prayed from here. You reconnected with that God-centric structure is when the heart and brain come together and that's where we become altruistic. That's when we move into service. That's yeah. when we move into caring about others other than ourselves. We move out of that ego and move into more of that sense of I want to include other in it. Your your example here today is are the exact same process which yeah. with the eternal core is based on. And we appreciate so much your willingness to come in and share your story and help people see, and, you know, you, you plotted it out so beautifully, cool. of, of, you know, if you offer them good therapeutic treatment, also with the sense of we're hardwired to seek for the divine, and we combine those two, it's amazing what happens. It, it people is, get better.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they get better, and they stay better, and, and they don't need us anymore. That's what we want. Right. We want, and furthermore, we want, to, we want them to do the same thing yeah. and, to, and to help others. And, and um, the, the most powerful staff that we have had have been those that have come through the ranch. And I think throughout the next 10, 20, 50 years, uh, if things go that long, then we will continue to do that um, we study multiple areas and avenues. I don't want to also get the, the idea that we, we just talk about God and, and, and pray mm-hmm. and that's it. We have, we have studied many forms of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, uh, uh, group therapy, uh, EMDR specifically mm-hmm. with, with trauma treatment. Mm-hmm. It, it's a wonderful combination yeah. when you bring them both together. There's a ton of amazing stuff yeah. out there, and when we all understand and respect each other's differences and experiences and allow them to have theirs everyone's own and understand that everyone's on a different journey and a different yeah. path, yeah. not everybody needs to be a certain religion or a certain belief or certain they need, we just need to love them yeah. we need to just love them and And, when, then, and right. then,
2: where it goes from there, it goes right and when when you bring that divine structure into the therapy, you absorb that therapy in a different way than when it's yeah. not connected. Yeah. you see it differently, you process it differently it sticks differently
1: and there's scientific evidence of that in right. brain scanning, right. where they identify where the spiritual area in the brain is and when they utilize spirituality in in the context of therapy and treatment, and how the whole brain, the free frontal cortex lights up, right. and, and it's, it's um, there's a lot of science behind it right. also. It's not just hokey. I mean, it's, right. it, and I'm So sure that's
2: why they're doing better than other yeah. programs. <laughs> I like, I like his last little mission statement.
0: It's not hokey. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that, it's not yeah. hokey pokey, you know. Yeah, Ty, yeah. this has been amazing. Yeah, that, yes, thank you, this, is, this took a lot of yeah. courage. I, I, have you shared this, this openly before?
1: Not really, you know. Um, you, I, you know, I, I, don't, I never wanted to be a, like a look at me kind of person. I, or, or um, uh, you know, I, I have in certain context, mm. uh, I, I, I kind of felt, I don't know, to not. I feel like I could do a great good with my story, my family's story, but I just haven't felt like uh, the right time or yeah. have the right resources mm-hmm. to effectively do it justice and tell some other things um, mm-hmm. that, are, that are going on. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, a, good, a good platform to yeah. do that. Uh, but it, you know, I have nothing to, to hide. I think that the silver bullet in all this is vulnerability. Yeah. In, in, on, <laughs> in, in honesty. <laughs> Uh, you know just in church on Sunday I applauded a a man a young man and um, who we were talking about why why is it hard for people to stay connected um, to 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 the church or um, and we put down on you know all the stuff no one wanted to talk about and then you know and then I said a couple things and 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 another gentleman said Well, I'm I'm attracted to men and women and um, all kinds of stuff. um, And I don't know what to do about it. I I mean, because I can't, I'm not supposed to talk about it. It's not, I can't go to the temple if I, you know, feel this way or or I don't act things or do, you know, I, you know, but I, but I know that I, I know I love God and I know I love the church. I know the church is true. I know, but, I don't feel accepted and I, you know, and what, and, in another man, right? Like I, my, you know, my, I lost my wife three months ago. Um, my, my little boy is uh, contemplating taking his life. I see I don't even I'm here in church, man. Like how, how would I have ever signed up for this pain? I don't, but like, pe- and 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 when people talk about what's really going on, and we have we have, uh, oh, and the it brings it out and it connects us. It allows us to see who we are, and it allows us to love each other, and to support each other, yeah. and 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 get through this freaking thing we call life. <laughs> you know. Amen. Good so oh,
0: thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you, you so Ty. Much. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Ty Dixon, CEO of Renaissance Ranch, uh, shared his story of redemption and recovery, and it's just beginning, isn't it?
1: It is. We're just getting started. Yeah. For real. We are just getting started. Anybody and everyone who um, would, 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 uh, uh, would like to help um, the way I look at it, we're constantly training um, our our future; those those that come into us and that, that are a part of this. We're we're part of a much bigger plan, I think, than we even yeah. uh, can comprehend. Right. right. And um, it's just it's it's just cool to be along for the ride.
2: Well, there know? will be those that will hear your story and say, "He did it. I can do it." I'm there, I can move up, too. So thank you so much. I hope so. Appreciate can it. we
0: bring you back Absolutely. on later episodes? Sure. Thanks, That's everybody. Great. Thanks for joining us. Ty Dixon, Renaissance Ranch. This is Tom and Ken. Uh, look for you again soon.